the living geek. Moshi Moshi, welcome to episode number 35 of Super Segoy Cast. I'm Alex. And I'm Justin. This is our official last podcast of the year. It so, is. Yeah, next year is, I guess we could technically say season two. No, we started no. in 2015. But then we had that hiatus for oh, like six months. Yeah. And then, so yeah. technically this was like part 1.5. I mean, if we wanted to be a really official type like podcast, season one would be 52 weeks. So we would need 52 episodes to get to our first season. Yeah, but we don't record every week. Ah. Uh, so it would be like 25. 21.5? Yeah, no, 21. Yeah, no. 21.5. 20... That would be 23. 3.5. Half, yeah. half of 52. Oh, 25... <laughs> 20, 26. 26. 26. 26. Yes. Damn, math. we are math. Right? Leets. So, yeah. Tw- episode 26 would have technically been season 2, but but then that's just by episodes and not by time. It's okay. We'll yeah, it doesn't matter. Season two so, January next 1st. year, next year we start something, so. But we also finished up something for this year. Which is Beautiful Bones, Sakurako's Investigation, episodes 7 through 12 of 12. You guys can watch it on Crunchyroll, Hulu, and Anime Planet. Our thoughts didn't really change with these last six episodes. Um, my, my opinion changed a little bit on it, but it wasn't the same. So as a reminder, the plot follows Sakurako Kujo is an osteologist obsessed with bones. She constantly stumbles upon skeletons and mysterious crimes and helps solve them. With the help of her assistant, Shotaru, and their acquaintances. You know, there wasn't really a whole lot of, like, long-term plot when we left off. They would have random episodes that were, like, part one, part two. Yeah. Barely. But that's, I don't consider that long-term plot. Mm -mm. Like, the only thing that kind of made us go, huh, was when we realized that she didn't like calling Shotaru by his name. Yes. For a particular reason, but they didn't go into it too much. Yeah. So that's the only thing where it was like, oh, there's something underlying all these random crimes of the week kind of thing that was going on. You know, they never really fully tell you why she won't call him by his name. Yeah. You kind of understand, well, and you kind of get it on your own investigation. But... No, in the last episode, they she explained... I think it was the last one. Maybe the Probably. second to last. But in, at some her. point, it's because her little brother had the same name. Yeah. And so something happened to her little brother, so she doesn't like calling Shotaro Shotaro. Yeah. Well, so, she ends up doing it in the long run. like At the, the very end, end but, yeah. yeah. Anyway. We had a two-part episode. Yeah, where we left off with you guys. Yeah. Uh, Sakurako and Shotaro, they went to an old science teacher's science room, I guess, and they found yeah. a bunch of old uh, skeleton specimens, and mm-hmm. they were like, oh, look at these, and they started going through them because they were messy or something, and they found these, like, human they remains. They clean out the closet, basically. Yeah, and they found a, a tin of ashes that were human remains, and they turned them into the police and tried to find out, like, who they belonged to, and... We, at some point during this, Sakurako visited a hospitalized person and started talking about like some shady stuff, like taking on yeah. some unsolved case. And the person, they never showed you the face, never showed you anything but like the blankets of the bed and a yeah. monitor with like writing right. going across it. And to me, that was the most interesting thing of the show. Yeah, we were like, wait, what? where is this coming from yeah, now? And why? Yeah. Like, what's going on? But then that was the only thing they showed in this episode. Yeah. So they ended up finding out 
about the cremated remains and the deceased's family, and they discovered there was some weird love triangle and some infant death, and they yeah. it was trying to be kept hidden, <clears throat> and that was the end of that. So it was like, okay. But we ended up finding out that that uh, teacher that had passed, that the bones and stuff belonged to, was her senpai. She had gone to that school. He blah, taught blah, her blah, things blah. and stuff. and Yeah, and there had been some recurring characters... But, like, not every episode. And for, like, the last, like, four episodes of the show, the teacher was in, like, every episode. Random episode, again, uh, we run into... Well, they're kind of all random episodes. Yeah. (laughs) The continuation of things doesn't really make a difference, I guess. So you run into um, Shotaro's friend again from school. We talked about her, like, on episode three where her grandma had passed. Well, she asked um, Sakurako to come over and help her choose a painting because her grandma was supposed to leave it for her after she passed for, like, her wedding day. Yeah, I really didn't like this episode. It It was was a super long, drawn-out process of, like, oh, well, this painting means this and this and this. And in the end, Sakurako just kind of tells her to pick one anyway. So it's like... Yeah, it was like, I can't help you. This is what I deduce from these things and what rememberings and blah yeah, blah blah but so. ultimately it's your decision exactly. and what you feel about the painting and it was like why did i need to see this yeah you know? exactly it's just weird and the the last two episodes though were interesting for me like a mystery crime kind of thing like more legit that would have you know further backstory these last like two episodes were probably the most interesting so sakurako and shotaro helped his teacher again um, again look for a missing former student hitoe and this is weird because it's like why is he looking for her for one thing they end up finding a painting in her room and they discover that her best friend has a similar painting by the same artist mm-hmm. named hanabusa it was also in that cursed episode, the one the, where where uh, yeah, Sakurako got the dog and stuff. Yeah, same guy it's the was same on artist, that photo. Yeah. right? Not a photo, it's a um, painting. Sorry, painting. So the painting that had the butterfly on it, because that's a theme in this the butterflies. It, and it's uh, I thought it was a moth. It's yeah, the yeah. it's the ones that go and feed on the dead flesh of rotting Animals creatures and, things and dead yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So. So that artist is named Hanabusa, and the best friend thinks that Hitoe stole the attention of him from her. And she's super jealous and whatever, but she thinks she knows where Hitoe might be. So they go try to find her, and they end up going to this cabin in the woods in the middle of nowhere, and they find Hitoe overdosing on pills, and they're like, what are you doing? So the best friend then reveals that their mutual friend, Futuba, killed herself there some years ago, and they buried her under a tree. And it was like they all had this suicide pact, but she was the only one that went through it. Yeah, but really she didn't. Yeah, because then Sakurako figures out that Hitoe is the one that killed Futuba, and Sakurako sees that the skull's missing the sphenoid bone, and all of a sudden, it's, oh, it's, it's a known, serial killer. It's like it's known as like the butterfly bone. It's yeah, right between your eyes, and it. And looks again, the like butterfly, butterfly theme. Yeah. yeah, butterfly. So like, Shin's been finding all that out, and you. It's not necessarily that this person is a serial killer in a sense. He's like a grave robber who helps people kill themselves. Yeah. Or benefits off of other people being killed. Well, that's kind of like a serial killer. In a sense, just he, does, he doesn't do it with his own hands. No, yeah, but he's helping people yes. to do it. So. so here's where I thought it started to get really interesting all of a sudden. Yeah, you me run too. Into this guy named Hanabusa. Hanabusa, sorry. He's a serial collector of these bones, and he's been doing it for a long time, back when her uncle worked for the investigation team at the... Uh, Medical examiners. Yeah, her uncle was, like, medical examiner, who was one of the first people that got her into it. Mm-hmm. And he was running into this person. So, like, we finally have a conflict and a battle. Also, like, during this episode, Shotaro ended up getting, like, stabbed, yeah. diving to save Sakurako. Because um, one of the girls was going to stab Sakurako for yeah. figuring it all out. And, exactly. Oh, you can't do this because she, like, you don't know what mind. you're talking about. And, exactly. Yeah. 
So Sakurako breaks off the relationship with Shotaro because she doesn't want to keep putting him in at danger. risk, especially because it seems like she already lost her brother. Of course, Shotaro is crushed, and he doesn't understand what's really happening. He's just like, she doesn't want to talk to me. Okay, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. So then some time goes by. They don't really say how long, but it seems like a few months. Mm -hmm. And we finally get to see how Shotaro and Sakurako met because he has like a flashback. And they ended up, they were looking for an elderly neighbor with dementia who they came to discover had killed her father decades earlier when she was yeah, young and because he was remember. abusive. And, yeah. Yeah. So then Shotaro, having remembered these memories, has like a new fire to help Sakurako defeat the serial killer painter Hanabusa. And he goes up to her and he's like, no, I'm going to help you do this. And they that was like kind of got it. over it. And all throughout these last like six episodes, there were several occasions where she wouldn't talk to like computerized. The person in the and hospital. I don't know if it's her old uncle, if it's the old senpai from the school. Mm -hmm. It never clarifies who this person is. But you do know that Hanabusa, Hanabusa, sorry, is around watching them, and like it just ends. That was the end of the season. I don't know if there's gonna be a season two, but yeah. if there is, it's still weird. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think if it came out with the season two, I might watch episode thirteen to see what was gonna happen. Yeah, but if it's still the random like, well, we're gonna do this today, and yeah. you know, not have anything to do with the story, then it's like, well, I don't care. <laughs> the only thing that was beneficial about these last six episodes is they got rid of her stupid, like, transformation. It was weird, because it didn't belong. But, I don't know. Like I said, I didn't really care for this anime. It was just kind of whatever. So it turns out that this anime has a second name. It's called A Corpse is Buried Under Sakurako's Feet. And it actually started off as books. It's mystery novels. Novels are probably pretty good. Yeah, they're probably a lot better. Yeah. Because they wouldn't need they're to have... They're meant to have the details of right. the story. You yeah. Know what I mean? The series started in 2013... There were nine volumes published, and they've had over a million copies in print, so it must be pretty decent. Yeah. You know, and I'm kind of like, I want to know what the readers of the books think of the anime, mm -hmm. if they think it did it justice or not, because... Probably not. Yeah, I would hope not, because if that's what the books are like, I would be severely disappointed reading the books. Yeah. But they also turned it into an online radio drama before it was an anime. And then they turned it into this anime in 2015, and... It didn't do so yeah, hard, I guess. Yeah, I'm just kind of like, whatever Why? about it. She should be a detective, and then it would make the show a lot better, I think. They should have based this anime off of the live-action show, Bones, which was also based off of a real-life person who worked for the FBI. I mean, maybe they did. You know, this was, like, their uh, way of taking inspiration from it or something. I mm -hmm. don't know. Either way... It wasn't that great. It needs some work. Yeah. Alright, well, we started watching a show that I had actually put on my wish list. Your queue? It's called Nonbaka The Numbers. It's actually really good. I enjoy this quite a bit. We watched episodes 1 through 6 of 25, mm -hmm. although there's only about 12 episodes out right now yeah, because it so. is still coming out. Yep. You can watch it on Crunchyroll. Um, usually if it's on Crunchyroll, you can find it on Anime Planet as well. Yeah, but it's not on Hulu. No. So as far as we know right now, it's only on Crunchyroll and Anime Planet. Yeah. So it's a comedy following the daily lives and misadventures of four inmates in Nanba Prison, the world's most formidable prison. It's supposed to be like inescapable. And when they show it, it looks like a damn city. It really does. Like, it's, it's huge. Giant. To get to the other buildings, they have the, an the, underground uh, tram subway and that tra trains. That transfers and... to another subway, that transfers to another subway and elevators. And like, so far to our knowledge, there's 13 different prisons within this prison, in a sense. Cell blocks, you Cell could blocks, say. yeah. yeah. Buildings. But they're like different buildings, all run by different supervisors, which then are all watched, obviously, by the warden. 
The four inmates that we mostly pay attention to are Jugo, Uno, Rock, and Nico. They just like to break out of their prison cells all the time. In the very first episode, that's what we see them doing, is breaking out. And they end up getting caught by the, um... What's his name? Ha- uh, Hajime? Uh, yeah. Who's the supervisor of their prison cell. Like, look at them and go, like, you guys aren't gonna go anywhere. And they all, like, individually try to, like, get by him, and he just, like, knocks them all out like that's you guys right. are a joke. Yeah. <laughs> so then they get sent back to their cells, and they end up talking about how they feel like this prison is better than the other ones anyway. Like, so they don't they, actually they're gonna all want to leave. Yeah, They like, just kind of do it to have fun yeah, to break out. break out to go talk to Hajime and the other guards and like just to entertain themselves they end up breaking out right after that because they they end up finding out that there's a lady in the visitor's room or whatever yeah and so they're like oh we have to go see her because we haven't seen a lady in so long and so they break out to go find find her and see her but it ends up being hajime's cross-dressing brother and a lot of them are disappointed but jugo ends up talking to her or him again and getting we end up getting some of jugo's backstory so that was kind of interesting mm-hmm. but in the most part this this series is just about having fun yeah it's a bunch of like yeah it's just random fun so it's not like it's very serious we ended up thinking we were done with the first episode (laughs) like halfway through through, yeah we watched all of it and then it went to its like middle cut scene for like the commercial break well we no it went to the um like the exit or the intro song but it was halfway through the episode so we didn't think it was the intro song we thought it was was the the ending episode yeah so we were like oh okay we turned it off we're like wow that was fast we got through it so fast yeah but no we ended up like coming back when we were gonna start watching episode two and going like oh what done with episode one yet yeah we were like <laughs> my bad <laughs> yeah so you know a lot of like important things don't happen but no. it still carries on with itself it into, into other and, episodes yeah, yeah which is more than sakurako's investigation did yeah. so it's kind of weird in that sense in the very first or second episode we also learned that the warden whose name is momoko has a crush on hajime the guard supervisor and he doesn't understand that he thinks every time it's like this miscommunication so she's always looking at him and staring at him and wanting him to do things and he thinks it's because she doesn't like him and she's trying to like get him in trouble but it's not it's because she's got this crush on him so there's a lot of funny interactions that in that mm-hmm. sense too it's kind of very similar to the sense of like kill or kill like a lot of the fun mm-hmm. like aspects of kill or kill go into this though it's not so much fan service in any sense it's just random chibi moments and fun fight scenes and stuff like that one of the guards ends up complaining to hajime that the customer the customers that the prisoners don't respect him and so hajime gives him some tips on how to make things easier but the prison guard ends up using those things as to like cater to them mm-hmm. instead and the prisoners complain completely take advantage of it oh yeah they're so much smarter and so hajime is like oh totally didn't do this right you know what i mean and so they ended up meeting a new prisoner who thought he was a ninja and he's also someone who knows how to escape so they break out and they have this competition between jugo and him who can get the furthest furthest. or whatever and the whole time he's just following them yeah jugo's doing all all the work work. yeah (laughs) until the very end like hajime's like what are you guys doing? And stops them in the middle of a corridor, and they're like, "We're having a competition. We aren't part of it. Only Jugo and the Shinobi are." Yeah. But like, and then the the Shinobi like tries to get away by using some smoke um, yeah some smoke pellets and stuff like that. But then he throws all this stuff on the floor, and he ends up trapping himself in it. Yeah. So he can't get out because he like threw tacks and things on the floor to yeah. try to get away. But they ended up <laughs> surrounding him, so now they they just put a sign on him saying that he was in timeout instead. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they just kind of left him there overnight. <laughs> yeah. So the last, like, I think three episodes actually had linear story. It was all about New Year's. 
Also, one of the customs that happens for New Year's in Japan mm-hmm. is cleaning out your house yes. for the new year. Like, yeah. getting everything nice and clean, fresh starts, basically. So, the prisoners are forced to clean up their own cell, and Hajime and his partner are tasked with cleaning the warden's office. And the whole time, she's just staring at him intently, of course. Yeah. And they're both like, oh, crap, dude, she's going to make sure I do a great job, because she's, she's looking at us. Right. And so, the harder yeah. they work, the harder she stares at him, because he's getting all sweaty, and yeah. he takes off his shirt, you know, and she's just like, oh, Oh my god yeah and he's like, like oh no i'm not doing a good job yeah exactly and it also shows you the major conflict between him uh hajime has this main conflict with this other uh supervisor who i can't remember his name at the time but like he's a monkey type yeah his, person. his name had something to do with monkey all of their names have to do with something, something. but they like, each of those different supervisors all have these like unique things about them like one looks like a dog one's kind of a monkey but like hajime is just literally this like bald like seems like hairless dude with like a scar that's he it he looks like one punch man kind of yeah. yeah so um the warden ends up having this idea and it's something they do yearly where they have this co-op new year's tournament for the prison and it's for one just to see which of the prison blocks is the best but also in a sense to show all of the prisoners just how strong their guards are because the prisoners of that cell block are also very the, strong <laughs> yeah and, the, and the, the guards of that cell block actually team up and fight in this tournament so they have to work together to show everybody how much stronger they are yeah exactly there's five different events, and each inmate happens to have a special skill and do all these different competitions. So Jugo can pick any lock, except for these special shackles that suddenly appeared on him overnight one night. In a and, different prison, not this one. Yeah, so. in a different prison, back in the back in the day. Yeah. But um, he can pick any any lock and any security system and codes and stuff like that, except yeah. for those things. So that's yep. a whole another weird part of the story that we're still figuring out. Yeah, we'll kind of get into that here in a little bit too. And then uh, Uno's a gambler slash card master because he's good with um like reading tells like he yeah, can read your he body can, language and different takes. Right, and he can yeah. count cards and all that kind of stuff and. Yeah. He likes to use cards for stuff, mm-hmm. too. Like, whenever they try to break out and there's lasers involved, yeah, he'll he throw his throw card. Them. That way they can kind of... Yeah. yeah. And then um, Rock, he just pretty much likes to fight. And eat. And eat, yeah. He's, he's like big the on strong food. guy of the group. There isn't really a whole lot to him. They actually don't show him all that much. Yeah. But... He's American. There's two Americans. One a British. British guy. And then Japanese. Jugo's Japanese. Yeah. He's the only one. And then the last person is Nico. He used to be a drug mule. And I guess somehow that interfered with him and His, taking like, drugs and, and stuff. stuff like and yeah. now nothing affects him. Or it affects him completely different than it, like... It's in the reverse way. So if you give yeah. him an anesthesia, he's probably going to feel pain more. You give him a right. sleep drug, he's just going to be more awake. Each one of these guys, like, they all have these different traits, and so, like, each of them have a different reason on why they like to stay here. So, like, Nico likes staying at the prison because they give him the best-tasting medicine he has to take. Rock, who super loves to eat, there's, like, a really good kitchen that cooks there, so he likes to stay there because of the food. Yeah, he said it's better than all the food he's had in any other jail, Yeah, so that's why he stays. Uno likes to stay there because of being able to gamble with his friends and hang out with everybody. The only person who doesn't necessarily care is Jugo. He has no particular reason to stay in this prison, except for the fact that he's homeless otherwise, and, and his he's prison's like, well, better off than anything else. He's like, I'm here with my friends, and it's fine. So, to kind of recap on what you're saying, Jugo's the Japanese, Uno's the British, and then Rock and Nico are the Americans. Americans. 
So and it was kind of funny too because when that ninja showed up, mm-hmm. they were all like, "Oh, it's a real Japanese ninja, ninja. a shinobi!" Yeah. Like, oh my god. Except yeah. for Jugo, Jugo's like, "What? No, this guy's a fraud. What are you talking yeah, about?" Yeah, yeah. And they're like, "No way!" And they got all like twinkly eyed yeah. everything he did and everything, and it was funny. So Adelie, all these events, each of these events obviously hits one of them on the head, like specifically what their like specialities are. So mm-hmm. like, there's a competition where they have to mash um, mochi on top of these like three cylinders that are giant, and they have to use these mouths and so of course Rocket's chosen they win that match because of his strength and like Uno does a card game which originally they were going to put Jugo in because Jugo speaks Japanese and it was about Japanese poems and he's like but I don't know Japanese all that well even though he's Japanese (laughs) they end up putting him in the final event so it's Hajime and Jugo and they go up against one of Jugo's old cellmates this old cellmate knows what's going on with the shackles that yeah. are on Jugo. He knows about the guard who put the, has the scar on the back of his neck that put him on him. Yeah, exactly. So Jugo is now suddenly like, well, I gotta get this info out of you. Yeah. And he gets this new like intensity about the fight between them. And he transforms into this entirely different form. I don't. I think that's part of the shackles. I think the shackles gave him that power. Yeah, I don't know. Because if didn't you really... notice, they yeah, shrink on came... his neck and right. on his arm. But on top of that, the guy he knows is blind, and he he makes a comment about how Jugo used to be more fierce back in this old prison they were in, and how he took his eyes from him somehow. And I don't know if that's because he's using Jugo, um, those guys' eyes, or if Jugo's eyes were just the same. But like, Jugo has that um, two colored eyes. Yeah, the the medical condition where he has like one's purple and one's green. And so, yeah, we're in the middle of this this event, and Jugo all of a sudden turns into this, like, beast. And that's where we're left off at. So we have no idea what's going to happen next. Yeah. But it is really interesting all of a sudden. Although, one of the funny things about this show, too, all the sparkles. Mm -hmm. What is up with all the sparkles? It's it's because the prison's so clean. Maybe. But it's also on them. They're just like random little twinkles on like everything. At first, I was like, what is up with this? But then after, I was like, oh, okay. Um, It just kind of gives you something else to like look at for a second. And here's what I really, really like about this show, too, though. The fact that it's so out there, it's so funny. No, this one is so easy, you know? It's easy to laugh at, it's easy to enjoy. I like it a lot. The action's fun, too. They go into, like, random moments where there's, like, beeps and sensors, like, because they're, like, either A, they're cussing, (laughs) or they're talking about other animes and their moves. Right. Like, Nico tries to cast the Kamehameha, and so, like, they have to bleep out the the stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And it shows the other three people doing it. Like, one's the bleep, one's the sensor, one's there just in case for something else. Yeah, he's got pixels just in case somebody (laughs) goes naked. (laughs) (laughs) I love watching stuff like that where all of a sudden they just have to, like, bleep out a whole, like, conversation because it's just for fun. If it had stayed as a manga, it would not have done it justice. Probably This is one of those things where it had to be brought to life in order for everybody to enjoy it to the fullest, you know? This is one of the first animes I've chosen that I've, like, instantly been like, wow, this is amazing. It'll be fun to see where the show goes, Mm -hmm. and... I definitely think there is going to be stories. So not only are we trying to find out more about Jugo's background and him trying to get this information about the shackles that are on him, they also mentioned something about his father. Oh, that's right. Being in the same prison, just in a different cell block, and Jugo doesn't know. I actually thought that this blind guy was going to be Jugo's dad, but it's not. I really look forward to watching more of this show. I do too. It started off as a manga in October of 2013, and the manga's still going on. There are only three volumes so far, but it encaptures 25 chapters in those volumes, and there are a hundred more chapters that could be put into nine more volumes. It just hasn't been consolidated yet. 
Wow. So I don't know where the chapters are now. Probably mm-hmm. like in monthly magazines or something like that. Yeah. But I'm sure they're going to be put into more volumes. So yeah. they turned it into an anime in October of 2016. And like I said, there's 12 episodes right now. But that means there's just 13 more to come. But we also decided to do a little bit of a, a historical thing, in a sense, and went and saw a play in theaters. We had a basic once-in-a-blue-moon opportunity to go yeah. see this, so we did. It was the Allegiance Broadway play, which was created by George Takei. Well, he, he wasn't created by him, but he did a lot to he, he help create it. it. Yeah, and He was in the play as a couple characters. It's about the lives of a Japanese family who ended up being relocated to an internment camp during World War II. A lot of it is inspired by the personal experiences of George Takei, who ended up having to live in a Japanese internment camp mm-hmm. when he was younger. And he ends up, like Justin said, playing a couple of characters in the story, so that was kind of nice for him, I bet, too. Yeah, he plays the older version of the main character, mm-hmm. and then plays the grandfather of the main character when they go back in time to show his yeah. time in the internment camp. It was kind of neat to see the overall conflict in the family. So you had like the grandfather was very complacent, kind of just whatever. The sister who was kind of like a mother to her brother because of how much older she raised him and the dad were very like, let's just do what we're doing. But the brother, the main character was very pro-America. He wanted to join the fight, show that he was American and go fight overseas, but they couldn't, they wouldn't let them. Right. And like, it was kind of neat to see that contrast. That was actually a really dark period in American history that they don't talk about very much. They don't. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because there's not a lot of stuff that covers that time. So being able to see this from the eyes of a person who had been in an internment camp. Yeah, seeing it from that perspective. Yeah, that perspective. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah. That made it really interesting for me. So the production started in 2008. And in 2011, Takei held a fundraiser online to help with the costs, and he raised almost $160,000. Yeah. That's crazy. I think that's amazing, because that means that there were just so many more people who wanted to give the support and see what the story was going to turn out to be. So the musical premiered in 2012 in San Diego for a short time, and it did so well there that it made it to Broadway in 2015 for 148 performances. That's a lot of performances. It is. It's, the time frame wasn't all that long. It was only about five months, I think. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it made it to Broadway at all was and awesome. was there for that long, it's an accomplishment, you know? It opened to mixed reviews. But I think overall, it was more positive than negative. Well, I think it's going to be that way. Not to get like political or judge how America is, but America's very... Like, Only show the good stuff. Yeah, it, they're <laughs> yeah. very into themselves in a sense. And a lot of the people here, as you now know by the presidency and the election, are only about American people. So you right. show a play from a Japanese person's perspective about the negative times in their lives back during World War II, a lot of people are going to go see it and not like it because right. they don't want to acknowledge Admit that the it fact happened. that they had something so negative in their past and how much it affected the Japanese people. Correct. And not just them, but the people who wanted to protect the Japanese people as well. Because it's actually, it's a really good play, not just in the terms of what it's showing historically, but just as a play in the way it was done. Mm-hmm. It was really well done. 
The musical was actually a big part of the Tipitake documentary that was on Netflix a couple of years ago, and we got to see a lot of backstory of him creating it in that documentary. I remember watching it and being like, oh man, that's something I'd never be able to see because it's on Broadway. You know what I mean? So I was really hard to get to. Yeah, I was really excited when I saw that they were having the one night showing of this, Mm -hmm. and so that's why I was like, oh, I want to go, you know? It was held by Fathom Events, which if a lot of you don't know, they do show a lot of plays. Operas. um, Operas from like the Met. Mm -hmm. Um, They do show a lot of old classic movies that aren't shown a whole lot now. We were actually really surprised because like normal movie prices are like 10 bucks, 14 for like um, a 3D. 3D. When we went, these things were $20 a piece for the ticket. It yeah. was like actual play cost. It was a little bit of sticker shock, not going to lie. Yeah, Would have been nice to like, know that before. Oh, <laughs> going from like a $22 movie to a $40 movie is like, uh, Right. We were like, oh, okay. Oh, well, still going, but you know. If you guys saw it, let us know. I would definitely say try. Or if they ever do another night on Fathom. Like, I'm sure it might make another cycle later on, especially if it did well. I was kind of hoping that they would eventually record it in such a way that they could put it out on DVD or Blu-ray well, or something. Well, they already have it. They might. Yeah. They already see, have the recording. That would be nice. Yeah. Because then you wouldn't have to go all the way to a theater. They'd yeah. probably get more money that way Just by having it, it on disc, yeah, you know? Yeah, probably. Although, I will say that the only thing I didn't like about it was the recording quality. In yeah. some points, well, it didn't seem More like it the was. End. Yeah, it didn't seem like it was professionally done. You yeah. know what I mean? It like, was like they did their play, and then it was just recorded off to the side. I yeah. mean, it had different angles. It had different yeah. zooms. It wasn't like it was just from somebody in the audience or something. Yeah. Well, you also know the audience there was fake because, like, just a lot of the claps was just so generic. No, I think it was a live action. You think so? Yeah, I don't think it was live. No, because you could see the orchestra um, well, yeah, maestro and stuff live. down there. I think the play itself was live and the orchestra was live, but the applause that went with it and things like that, I think was fake. Okay. I think they did just a straight live performance only for the cameras. Gotcha. Well, regardless, yeah. a lot of the times, they these people could sing, too. Oh, yeah, like, I wasn't expecting that quality of singing you know what i mean like it was so good and it bothered me because the recording quality really didn't do it justice that's what i was gonna say this when they were singing low it sounded great yeah they started doing like the whole group of the cast singing their high points of the song the real loud vocal point the climax or the orchestras hitting their points it got so loud that the mics couldn't handle it they ended up like technical difficulty in a sense like later on near the end of the play too where there was like echoes of the mics it almost sounded like ghosts, you yeah, know what I mean? Like the, that kind of echo. So. But, you know, it didn't take away too much. No. It was still worth seeing. Very much so. I feel like they probably could have used a smidge more work on the story, too. Like, it was fleshed out, but it also felt more like, I don't know, it was just missing a little bit of something. Something. You know what I mean? It, was, it went yeah. by too fast. It was a little slow in terms of watching it though as well oh yeah watching it the the pacing was slow but Mm -hmm. this well no see that's that's what makes it complicated like it felt like it took longer than it actually did i think i know what you're trying to say so in in terms of the film itself or the play it was slow in like the way it was acted out the way that you were seeing it it was slow but in terms of why it was fast was that the different aspects that they hit on went by quick the initialization of the war, the initialization of them going to the internment camp, the initialization yes. of them being able to go to war, and then also the people who didn't want to be drafted fighting it. Those are so small that they only hit on those very small amounts. Right. And but then they took up. So, it was slow. Yeah. And they took up so much time with the songs yeah, that it exactly. didn't 
have enough time for story. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's where I don't necessarily care for musicals. Your story is the song. I guess so. But I mean, you could say that about Disney movies too. Those are musicals, you yeah, know. But that's still more story. It is. And I think that's because of the lyrics in mm-hmm. the songs. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's what needed work. Maybe they just needed more storytelling in the yeah, songs. probably. Yeah. Oh. Instead of like anthems, you know. Yeah. I still say it was very good, though. I think so as well, and it was very informative and historical and brought a lot to light. Again, if you guys have the chance to see it, please see it. Netflix, maybe if it shows up on Netflix. Yeah, it might show up on Netflix. Give it a shot if you guys like history. So moving away from the play, remember when we had talked about the holographic roommate that's going to be coming out in Japan back in episode 16? Yeah, something like that. Okay, well, it turns out that it's going to be coming on sale next year so i was like oh we could do a cool little update about that because you know some cool tech news that finally ready to go yeah something that we've previously talked about so like i said back in episode 16 which was called guardian of the dark hadoken hologram you can re-listen to what we said originally but we had talked about this communication ai that integrates with a smart home via a holographic character called hikari Mm -hmm. and she's basically siri with a body I guess you could say she's Siri, and she's also um, Alexa from the Amazon Echoes. Yeah. Put together for your house. Definitely check out our episode 16 if you haven't to kind of get more of a full-on detail about what the program is and what it goes for and what it does. When Alex first brought this up that we were going to talk about in this episode, she was like, man, we should super get one. It's only $250. And I was like, yeah, I was like $250 I was like, yeah, it's only a couple hundred bucks. An AI that's going to run your house? That just doesn't seem right. Yeah, it was a misread. Yeah, it's $2,500, but even still, I don't think that's all that expensive for what it is. No, not for something that's basically gonna run your house for you. Yeah, she talks back to you, she turns on your appliances, wakes you up, monitors your mood, which is, you know, slightly creepy, but she'll even text you during the day saying that she misses you and she's gonna see you soon and stuff like that, which is something that we didn't know last time, so I thought that was kind of cool. I want a robot friend that'll hang out it's not even a robot though it's just a hologram friend no but she's an ai so i mean she's not real but you know what i mean she'll still be there to hang out with you during the day technically if you're home all the time yeah and well clearly if you're not home all the time either she'll be texting you and stuff like that so it's just like where did you go yeah you know it'd be kind of fun well yeah it's just a companion you know i'm cool with that i'm sure a lot of people in japan are gonna like that i wonder if they'll release it here I don't know. I wonder when. Yeah, well, even if they don't, I'm wondering if it'll be compatible with U.S. smart homes. Mm -hmm. Because even then, I mean, that's still, you know what I mean? Like I said, $2,500 isn't all that much for something like that, in my opinion. Maybe we'll come in contact with one when we go back to Japan in a few years. Uh, Yeah, probably. Maybe we'll have them in, like, super expensive hotels to help you, like, run your room. Don't forget you have train tickets to go to the Olympics at this time. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? How awesome would that be? That well, be that's why cool. I was like, if we if we did like an Airbnb again, mm-hmm. and then the house we stayed in had one Added, of those, that would be sweet. amazing. It'd probably be one of more of the expensive <laughs> houses to try to like live in. Yeah. It'd be so worth it, though. So speaking of things that are technically still only in Japan, Sony created a new gaming tablet, in a sense, and it's based off of technology they've already had in the arcades for a while. If anybody ever watched Yu-Gi-Oh! and they had those like little discs that were like on their arms to like play their cards like live action in a sense. I don't know if they were discs. They well, were. It was, it like, was an arm thing that you put the cards into. Well, yeah, but like eventually it ended up having like a fan on it. I swear. And you well, that's like, because of the cards that you were sticking yeah, in. Yeah, well, it's still not a fan. Either it, way, it's not a disc. Whatever. A disc is a CD. Like it was half a disc. They're cards. It's a card holder. 
Maybe I don't remember Yu-Gi-Oh! as well as I thought I did. <laughs> Sony came up with a thing called Project Field. Kind of a weak name for it in general. Well, it's not done yet. It's just, so. it's Project still. You know so what I mean? So it's basically a smart pad, and it connects to a tablet or a phone, and you can put your cards on it, and it reads your card and then like displays it on the phone or tablet for the corresponding game that you're playing. It uses IC readers, sensors, and Bluetooth in order to do that. You can only use it with games that are running on Project Field software, mm-hmm. I guess. So it's kind of like, you know, using a- an Apple app for an Apple phone or, exactly. not, or an Apple watch. So in that sense, they all go together. When players place and move cards around on the pads, the movements make in-game animations and actions mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Kind of yeah. like when you play Hearthstone. If you play Hearthstone, you put your card down, even though that's the virtual part, you'd be doing that physically with um, Project Field, and then on this tablet in the middle that goes in between the two players that are playing, you see the animations and actions going around on the screen. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Like, it'd be great for Magic the Gathering. It would give it, like, a nice boost. Well, it would give a lot of card games boosts, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, like, Pokemon's been around for a while, Magic's been around for a long time, and, like, I know a lot of people who play it. And it's great, but it needs something to give it more, I think, currently. Yeah, to bring it, like, into the current times. This would be perfect for that. Especially because when you're playing the games, you can save the card stats on the games. That's cool. Depending on what game you're playing, it'll be for long-term or for short-term. But, you know, if you're just playing for, like, one round on Magic, Mm -hmm. it'll save your stats so you don't have to keep writing everything down and blah, blah, blah. That's really cool. And then if it's a game more like Initial D, remember how you had to put your cards in the arcade slot? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, when you play there, it would save all of your car stats on your card because it's got like the little chips in all the cards, just like your bank card does now. That's really so, cool. So, yeah, I thought that was awesome, you know what I mean? I mean, it, I think it would bring a lot more um, visibility to card game like competitions and yeah. mainstream it out a lot more. Like, Hearthstone's more media based because you can, it's an esport in a sense and it's easier to just watch people streaming it because you can see what cards are playing and whatnot. When I try to watch like magic streams, yeah, they're no really difficult. What the hell is happening? Right, it's hard to see. You see above, but like the above just kind of shows you the table. You can't necessarily see the cards, and you unless you know read. what the cards' names are, exactly. you're like, uh. So by doing it with this, you'd actually be able to see the animation of what the card is and why and how it won. You can base all of its stats, which is really cool. The first game that they have coming out for it, it's going to be Yokai Watch, but Sony has supposedly several in the works. There's no word on any international release, although, like we were saying, with games like Hearthstone, Magic the Gathering, and then even with Amiibos, there's a lot of growth potential Mm -hmm. outside of Japan, so I don't see them keeping onto it for themselves. No, but I definitely see it being something that's huge in Japan, because one of the things when we were in the arcades, seeing those, like, soccer games you could play, because you'd build up your soccer, like, baseball teams and stuff like that, I was like, how does that even work? What's going on? Yeah. But, like, it was really cool. I was super intrigued. All the games that he's talking about were also card games. Yeah. It's just that they were on, they looked more like pinball machines, mm-hmm. except that instead of having, you know, the stuff with the ball on the inside, it was the flat uh, sensor screen, yeah. and you would put all your cards down and play and it, like, on the backboard screen. Exactly. So it was really cool. And of course this would come out of Japan because they have so many big card games. Yeah, and this is based off the same technology as that, but I think just better. It's mobile. Yeah, that's exactly. The, that's the big thing is and, that it's mobile. And I think that's why it's going to be huge in Japan. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to give people a lot of stuff to do. Well, yeah, because you can go hang out in the park. You can go walk mm-hmm. around, go study at school and blah, Something blah, blah, and be able to play. riding because right. everyone rides the subway. So yeah. I think it's going to be really good, too. The only thing that may hold it back is Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? If mm-hmm. that's something that it needs. Yeah, right, exactly. But if it, if it runs on, like, an app like, kind like of system, cord, yeah. I'm sure they'll get, they'll find a way to get around it. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, Bluetooth, you 
won't even need Wi-Fi. You oh, that's I mean? true. Yeah, like, Bluetooth. It says Bluetooth. Hello. So, yeah. For, totally forgot about that. <laughs> Something else that was kind of new, not necessarily tech-wise, but video game-wise, was Super Mario Run came out very recently. And you downloaded it. I did, and I actually really like it. It brings back a lot of nostalgia. Playing this, it's really fun. It is just a side-scrolling run game, but it brings back the old, fun Mario levels. They're slightly different. Yeah. Well, I mean, it looks the same in the sense that it's updated, Yeah. but it's got the same feel to it. Oh, big time. Yeah. Um, because I can't, like, stop and run backwards if I wanted to to get something or whatever, like, kind of, like, it's rough, but I actually really do enjoy the fact that you can play it. I think that adds an extra level of competition to yeah, it, like, exactly. with yourself, yeah. you know what I mean? And it adds, all right, so you get coins, and your coins save up, so your goal should be to try to collect as many coins as you can as you're going through it. You get coins for killing minions, and there's also five colored coins throughout the map, and I found out it's kind of like... Candy Crush, where you got like three stars for de defeating the level. So, like, the first five coins you collect as you run through the world, if you get all five, it resets the world in a sense where the coin placement's different. Yeah, and they're actually, harder now. Yeah, and a little bit of the level changes just a tad bit too. And then you have to do it a second time, and then a third time, and by doing that, you get different things. So, it adds more depth to the game. You get three stages free in the world, and then the boss level, or the boss stage of that world, you only get to play about 20 seconds worth of it. Kind of like a little trial to kind of give you a teaser. And you also get three worlds, though, don't you? No, there's six worlds total with 24 courses. Yeah, but you get to play... No, you only get to play three stages in that one world. Well, that's kind of lame. Yeah. You only get to play three stages. Yeah, three stages, and then like the fourth stage, which is like the boss stage in the first world, is only like a twenty-second demo of that. Oh, that's lame. I thought you got a lot more to to try out no, for free. No. So then, do you think it's worth ten dollars? Because that's kind of a steep price for any app. I mean, ten dollars for twenty-four courses, and this is why I think it is worth it because it's not just six worlds 24 courses it's six worlds and then you're tripling that 24 so really you have like what was that 20 40 60 72 70, yeah 72 courses really if you really go for the three star part of it right plus the boss battles the way that the game rolls out is you've lost your kingdom peach was stolen and everything was destroyed by a bowser so okay. there's two different forms you play so you play what's known as tour which is playing your normal stages within the worlds collecting coins so you can collect currency that way and then there's what's known as toad rally uh -huh. where you compete against other people's like points and by doing so you do like tricks and flips and like the way you kill minions and stack up coins you get toad followers and the more you collect the more that comes back to your kingdom if you win that stage oh, okay and then you use the coins and the toads to build houses and rebuild up your kingdom and then when you build those houses, like I, I did one trial version because you do it for the demo. I built this house and it gives me a free bonus level every eight hours. Oh, okay. So like not only do you get your normal worlds and stages, you get the toad rallies, which is like a PVP element. Plus you get to rebuild your world, which can give you other free bonuses as well. Okay. And so you get all of that for 10 bucks. Do you think it's worth $10 like just hearing all of the extra little things you get with it? Or do you still feel that it's not enough? Well, I'm one of those people that I don't feel like it's worth $60 to buy a game. So yeah. $10 for a little phone game? No, mm -hmm. probably not. But that's why I'm asking you if you feel like it's worth it because you're the one um, playing it. 
I would think it's worth the $10, but I feel like I would get over that $10 very fast. I don't think it would take me that long to defeat everything and to rebuild my world. And I think that's where the problem lies. Like, I'm not such a completionist that I'm going to want three coins or three stars per stage. Yeah. Like a lot of other people might. And I don't think I'm so much of a completionist that I have to completely rebuild my kingdom. It's like, do I want to? Yeah. But once I defeat it, am I going to see more replayability after that? I don't know. Well, how much have you been playing it so far? I've played it quite a few times, and I've gone through it and kept trying to get better and better so I can collect the, the coins. Yeah. But I just don't know if I would be willing to spend $10 on it. Yeah. Because I already have two different mobile games that take up my time, uh, Minecraft and Hearthstone. So it's like, I don't need a third one. That you actually have to pay for? Yeah. <laughs> so if you were to... Well, I paid for Minecraft. That was, was like a six dollars. Yeah, and Minecraft was six dollars. Yeah, six dollars, and there's like ridiculous amounts of play replayability because you've got so much stuff you can build. If I wasn't playing one of those, yeah, I probably would buy it. Like, if we do go to Japan or if we were gonna go take like a long flight trip, I would probably buy this because it's something you can play offline. Oh, okay, that's nice. I didn't know that. Yeah, because you don't might not necessarily even need the internet to do the world rally mm-hmm. uh, because you probably just go against people's ghost scores. Okay. So I that would be about the only benefit on why I would pay the $10 for it. Yeah. Long travel, basically, subways and whatnot. So another game, a much more interesting game. The second trailer came out for Death Stranding. Yeah. What do you think? Creepy is the first word that comes to mind. I think it cleared up a lot of questions from the first one. Why is that? Well, for one, the title makes a lot more sense after watching this trailer. Because this one also had a bunch of dead sea creatures in it. Okay, for one, this is more in the city, right? Yeah. We don't know in which city. It also Um, shows the world basically at war with, like, skeleton men. Well, hold on, I'll come back to that. So, in the water, which is, like, sewer water, there's a bunch of tentacles. And there's a bunch of dead sea creatures. There was what? I think they were dolphins or something on the side of Uh, that. Some sort of large fish on the side of that under tunnel thing that had yeah. the sewer. Yeah. I you actually know, didn't even notice that. That's well, an, it's crazy. Well, when creatures strand themselves, mm-hmm. they're, they're killing dead. themselves. Yeah. So they're all jumping out of the water because of these tentacles that are now taking over. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. this is like an infection-based thing. So like the same reason why he was on the beach full of like dead octopuses or something like that? Yeah. Uh, in the first trailer. Yeah, in the first yeah. trailer. Yeah, yeah, So this one now... Okay, so in this trailer, yeah, it's a world at war, it seems like, but are they at war with other people, or are they at war with these creatures? We don't know yet. Well... When that tank drove by over the overpass, mm-hmm. it had tentacles on it. Yeah, like it was being controlled by, like, an alien... Well, some thing. of them just kind of look like they might have been falling off. Yeah. Or it was controlling it. I don't know, yeah. we couldn't tell. But then when Guillermo del Toro, right? Yes, okay. I believe so. So he had the like egg, a tube. yeah the yeah. egg incubation machine yeah, thing incubator is basically the perfect word for it he was afraid to go into the tunnel yeah. because he knew what was in there yeah. he knew that those creatures were probably in there mm-hmm. and he, i don't think he knew about the people that were in no, there but once so we saw Mads Mikkelsen in there he was basically being controlled by that also and that made me think of the X-Files movie when the black oil would take over your body mm-hmm. you would see it go up you and then it would like absorb so you yeah. wouldn't see it anymore yeah so i'm thinking this is an infection based thing it's weird though cuz you're saying it's infection based yeah and i see that but like Guillermo del Toro's full skinned um how do you say he his name he hasn't been infected yet how do you say his name Mats Mads Mads Mickelson he's full skinned as well 
the soldiers falling behind well, like the alien driven tank were skeletons yeah. in army clothing the three that were like attached to him by like tentacles as well were well, they might have been dead longer maybe it's like a zombie kind of thing but one of the other interesting things i noticed about this okay so for one guillermo del toro has a pin on his lapel of yeah, the united like, states and like a world symbol on it as no well. that was the united states i know but it looked like there was a globe in oh, the center of it I, I don't know i didn't see that i just saw the united states Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, he must be like an ambassador or something, something important, because mm-hmm. what who what person walks around with a pin on their lapel? Yeah. He's fairly well dressed, but when he goes and he sees the tank crossing above, well, first he sees the airplane go across, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a normal fighter jet. That's like an old school fighter yeah, jet, very old school. right? And then the tank goes across too. That's an old tank from yeah. like you know not world not necessarily World War Two, but right around there, mm-hmm. the same as the planes. Yeah. So. I don't think this takes place in current times. No, I don't think so either. Which is interesting because I don't know. I, a lot of a lot of things were cleared up in a way, but a but lot of things, lot are, of things are now. Well too. Yeah, there's new questions mm-hmm. that need to be asked. All I know is I still have no idea what the hell the game really is. It just seems like it's a suspense type thriller game. Well, once he plugged in that incubator, the baby yeah. appeared yeah. inside of which it, which was pretty crazy. And now that you've brought that up, like one of the notes I read on the article was that if you were to watch the first trailer and sync it literally in time with the second trailer when Norman Reedus has the baby disappear from his hands at that exact moment is when it appears in Guillermo del Toro's incubator interesting which is like it's a very weird thing like why did that happen is it really the same baby or is it just like a a weird thing that happened with the two trailers like no there's dimensions you can tell there's there's dimensions happening because that's also what they were talking about in that last update when they Mm -hmm. were saying that it's going to be co-op and stuff but you're going to be in different worlds that are synced together yeah there's dimensions that's easy he turned on the incubator and ported that baby into his incubator because he's probably going to try to save it but like you know what, Norman Reedus wasn't in an area where he could have saved it? Like I guess not. Norman I mean, Reedus he woke, woke up, up on naked a on a beach. Yeah, so. with a baby. So. And the creatures were airborne above him, those cloaked figures. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's and where... And weird, like, walking handprints, too. Right. So maybe it's kind of like Fringe, where he opened up a portal to the other side, mm-hmm. and then that's where this infection is tentacles from? came from I don't know. and so now he that maybe that baby's like the only hope and he's gonna try to bring it and save it and stuff like that yeah i don't know man something i'm super excited i'm very intrigued i want to see more i do um, too but like i actually just from these little well, glimpses i'm i want to i want to see like a full-on trailer i want to yeah, understand because i'm play. curious about the gameplay yeah because so far it just looks like a run and hide kind of thing mm-hmm. so i'm not sure like are there weapons do we yeah. get to fight things is it going to be more of like the last of us or is it going to be more of like i don't know a visual novel of some sort maybe like a silent hill type thing that would be because cool. that's what they originally were planning on like collabing on yeah and now they're collabing on another creepy game with creepy creatures, because that's what Guillermo del Toro is known for. Yeah. And then Hideo is just such a really good story creator, so... Yeah. I'm excited either way. No, I am too. Especially because there's a lot of really high-name people in it. You yeah, know what I mean? Really. And it looks fantastic. Yeah. Like the... Yeah. And I wouldn't imagine them just to sign up for the hell of it. I'm more than ready for this game. Well, also, a quick side note about Hideo Kojima. So since he's now cut all ties with Konami... Mm-hmm. He wasn't allowed to have that award that he was supposedly nominated for, or that he won mm-hmm. last year, or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, he had won an award, and they didn't let him have it, or they weren't going to let him have it, and he was, like, disappeared at that time. Yeah. But now, 
since he's no longer affiliated with anybody, they re-gave him that award. As him himself. Yeah, for just Hideo Kojima and not working as part of Konami. Good. So He deserves it. Yeah, no, he really does. That was at the Video Game Awards, so that was like, really nice. It's so shady that Konami was like that, and it's really like... We can't necessarily put all fault on Konami. There had to be some form of disagreement between the two. But like, well, clearly, yeah, the, something the, must have happened. The breakup was astounding. Terrible. And it was just yeah. like, why? But I can say that Hideo seems to have handled it a lot more maturely than Kon- Konami has. Yeah. Konami seemed to have been very shady and very, like... Yeah, they just wouldn't just come clean about what was and, happening. Yeah, and, like, they try to hide it. And then, like, to not give someone an award for something they created mm-hmm. and, like, just say some of the things that they said. It's just, like, really? Yeah. And well, now and they're... To take his name off of all the hard work yeah. you know that's tough that's, that's just like rude like yeah. why but like again we don't necessarily know if Hideo did something that he shouldn't have done yeah you know and like I understand cutting ties with somebody because of something they did that doesn't mean you should take all credit from them yeah or their past work and then to take something that they helped you build and completely tarnish it with what seems to be crappy games coming out here in the near future Grats to Hideo for, for getting his award. Whatever he did or didn't do, and then grats to him getting his award and getting his own company with PlayStation and still getting to do what he wanted to do with Guillermo del Toro for his first game. Right. And I imagine it's going to be great and it's going to lead to even better things down the road. Yeah, it looks like it. All right, enough about this. A little bit back to Mario just for the fun of it. Uh, kind of a random thing I happen to find. We will put a link on our Facebook so you guys can listen to this amazingness. But the Tonight Show had... Shigeru Miyamoto on the show. Yeah, on the Tonight Show. He played with the roots. I didn't know he could play a guitar, but he did. And they played the Super Mario theme song. He also plays the piano. That's awesome. I didn't know that either. Yeah, I saw him when I went to Video Games Live. He happened to be... No, no, no. You went to Video Games Live? I did. He was there, but I don't think he played anything. Koji Kondo came out and played on the on the piano for us. That was amazing. That's really cool that you yeah. went to Video Games Live. It was in San Francisco, and Koji Kondo happened to be in town mm-hmm. for some sort of conference or something. That's so funny. they came out and were like, oh, hey. We're here. Yeah. yeah. It was it was, it was was really cool. Well, anyway, we listened to the clip, and it was really cool. Um, nostalgia, hearing the song. If you don't know, he Miyamoto is the guy that created Super Mario yeah. back in 1980, something, whenever it came yeah. out. Yeah, 87, Three, maybe, four, I think. Six, yeah, something, something like, like that. that. So... It's amazing to hear him play what he loves and to be so fluent with it. And be recognized enough to be on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and get to play with the Brutes in front of everybody. And it's just great timing considering that they're trying to re-release the NES plus Mario Run, which is probably why he was even on there promoting it. Most likely. But what was neat is the article also linked an older video with him playing some bluegrass. I love bluegrass. And... Holy it wasn't crap. it wasn't just bluegrass it was a bluegrass version of the super mario theme well that i think he did a little bit of donkey kong and then yeah. he did some other stuff as well but it was amazing like yeah because so it was really good we'll link that because that's just good fun <laughs> yeah, it really was oh on a quick note because i love this so downloaded the trailer not the trailer but the trial for biohazard Resident Evil 7. Oh, yeah, the um, demo. I know we were talking about it last time that we couldn't find it. We couldn't find the extended demo that they had. Well, for whatever reason, somehow we ended up finding it. Yeah, we downloaded it, it. It popped back up. Yeah. So we have it. We're not going to talk about it on the show, but we're going to stream it. So make sure you guys check us out on Twitch. So we'll be streaming uh, Dark Souls, and then we'll take one night to randomly stream part of that teaser before we get back into Dark Souls again. So make sure to stop by and check us out on Twitch at Super Cast. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, also at Super Segoycast. Yes. 
Subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music. Send us an email at supersegoycast at gmail.com. Check out our shirts and other things, such as... Do we have mugs? We have mugs, yeah? We don't have mugs. Oh, I want a mug. Well, we got a mug from a different place. Yeah. Don't worry about it. That's a special order mug. Yeah, special Just order for us. mug. Um, <laughs> so, really cool stuff. Check it out at notlg.spreadshirt.com. Also, check out our host site, Night of the Living Geeks, at notlg.com. And a big shout-out and thank, as always, to Alex Barroza for his music on our intro and outro. Yep. Check out the link for more. We're sure that it's probably posted more stuff by oh, now. Oh, I'm sure he's got a lot yeah. more stuff. I'll have to check it out and see if we can maybe get an update. Thanks for stopping by. Bye. Bye. <laughs>